All right. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Um, Lennon would love to give one to you. Open it up, please, to the Gospel of Genesis, chapter 24. That is a great problem. Genesis chapter 24. This is one of those places where you get to make friends. If you don't have a Bible, go find someone less scary and sit next to them. Oh, look at that. Awesome. Okay. Read along with me. And actually, we'll do this. Let's just jump right into prayer. That way it kind of builds suspense of what's going to happen throughout the chapter. Um, Go ahead and pray with me if you would, please. God, I pray that you would immerse me in your spirit, that I would disappear and that you would appear, that you would fill me to overflowing with your spirit, God, that I would do, that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do. And God, pour your spirit upon every believer in this room, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive what it is you want to speak to us in this amazing chapter, the longest in all of Genesis. And we pray, God, that we would be ready God, we pray if there be any who have yet to know you, that this morning would be the morning of their salvation, where all of a sudden they go, ah, I get it. And in that, God, that you would show them how radically different the real God, the God of the Bible, that you are, is different from anything and everything that man has made you to be in their inventions. God, we pray that you would make this time clear and concise, that you would develop everything that you want to develop in this time. And God, that you would do profoundly in this room that which we can all say, I encountered God today. So Lord, in that we recognize there's nobody that encounters you that ever finds themselves the same for it. We recognize you love us so much that you'll meet us right where we're at. But you love us way too much to leave us there. So God, don't leave us alone but minister profoundly, perform therapy, encourage, challenge, exhort, rebuke, do that what you need to to each of us today, that we would be that much more equipped for what you've called us to, that much more in love with a God who's in love with us, that much more delighting in a God who rejoices over us with singing, and that much more profoundly affected by a God who, can't, who we cannot number the thoughts that he has for us, chronicling every breath and hair on our head, who knows every thought, and yet in every bit of that, loves us implicitly. Make that clear. I pray we'd have so much fun in your word that it would be living and alive and profound. And God, now I pray you would redeem every second. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's say this morning, like I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume, assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Where we're at now in context, we're again somewhere about halfway through B.C. history. Kind of put things into context. And we're at the place where this promised son, who Abraham and his wife Sarah have waited now over 25 years to come to pass, has been born. And now has grown. And, and he's grown to the point now where it's time to get the boy a wife. Now, recognize that in this man's life, if you think about the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one that's written about the least is this one. 
Yet, interestingly enough, it's the one who lives the longest. I think that Abraham lives 175 years. Uh, Jacob will live 147 years. This guy will live 180 years, and yet we have the least amount of press on him. His name means laughter again. Iskach. Can you say Iskach? No, come on now. You can't say Hebrew like that. Iskach. Iskach. Your turn. I mean, there's a whole lot more of you than there are of me. Now, it means laughter. And the reason, of course, is, I mean, in this, in, if you'll pardon me for saying his name is kind of like, what a joke. And it isn't what a joke, this boy, but what a joke that he was even born. What a funny thing that, I mean, anytime he goes to a parent and teacher conference, I mean, think about it. They're like, oh, you brought your great grandpa. And they're like, no, that's my dad. He's just 100 and whatever I am. So when the boy's 12, he's 112. At least it's easy math. And, and in all of that, this particular one, the father now, we, we've seen the focus on this promise. Now, get the idea that from chapter 12 through to chapter 21, 22, think about it. This is this period of time that has been focused, has been focused on waiting. When is this son going to show up? When is this son going to show up? When is he? When is he? Well, maybe it'll be kind of like this. Let's do it with our oldest servant, chapter 15, verse 2. His name is Eleazar from Syria or Damascus. So why is that important? Because he's going to actually be played into this particular script. Now, that was the first compromise. You know, well, he's not really from my loins, but he's our oldest servant. He's Syrian. His name, Eleazar. Ezar means help. El, like Elecha, means God, which means God the helper. Great name. Why not use him? And God's like, no, when I said a promise, I meant it literally. And what I found interesting is unless God says this is like this, he actually doesn't have a problem when you take him literally. Us trying to figure him out and trying to prove that we're so darn smart really gets us in all kinds of trouble. And what I've learned is when you look back, you're like, wow, I actually took him literally and it worked out that way. It just didn't make sense before that because you need to recognize God is smarter than you. You are aware of that, right? I mean, wouldn't it be horrible if God was dumber than us? I mean, think about how many things I lose my keys. Imagine running the universe. Now, think about this. There is this time, this period of time, where the focus is on waiting for the promised son. From 12 to about 21, 22. When he finally shows up, there was one highlight, two, actually two highlights of his life. And the two highlights of his life are the highlight of him being basically sacrificed on a place that's called Mount Moriach, and the second is getting a bride to him. And then after that, you actually focus on the prodigy of this man. Now, I'd like you to think about the fact that God is setting us up. As a perfect mystery writer, think about what he has done with the Messiah, the Mashiach Nagid, Jesus the Christ. The entire Old Testament becomes those chapters where we're waiting. When is the son coming? When is the son coming? When is he coming? Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wait a minute. And you realize this, all of this press, all of this media is investing in this time. When is he going to show up? Well, maybe it's kind of like this. Maybe he's just kind of this guy. Or, well, maybe he's kind of someone halfway. And God's like, no, 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 just take me literally. But how is someone going to be fully man and fully God? That's 200%. And God says, I'm not limited to your math. And he's like, well, wait a minute, but how can he be king of all? And how can he be servant of all? And God says, I'm not asking you to figure it out. I'm asking you to believe. And if you could figure it all out, you probably wouldn't believe the way you should. And now all of a sudden we've moved from this 
child being born and this sacrifice now to the most second most profound event of this guy's life, which is getting a bride to him. And that's what we have in this chapter. What a beautiful chapter for that. So it says in chapter 24, verse 1, Abraham was old. That's the father. And it says advanced in age, in case you didn't get the old part. And the idea, by the way, if you're Jewish, it actually helps. Because the difference between being old and advanced in age, old, by the way, is a frame of mind. You're probably aware of that, right? Some people call it young at heart. Other people call it immature. I will die whichever one of those you choose to call me. But advanced in age just means that he was more than just he's mature now and he's figured out life a bit and he's a bit wise. At this point, he's also old. He's just old. Now, Abraham, again, will die at 175. His son, this boy, will be married at 40. We only, in the events that we have chronicled in his life, we don't have how old he was when he was offered on the mountain. All we know is he was born, dad was 100. He'll be, he'll be married at 40. He'll have a baby at 60, two babies at 60. And then ultimately, he'll die at 180. That's what we know about this guy. Now, with that, his dad is old, advanced in age. And it says, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So this guy was not poor. And it says, And Abraham said to his oldest servant of his house, which again, according to chapter 15, verse 2, is Eliezer. Again, which means God our help. Or our helper. And he says to this man, who notice it says, who ruled over all that he had. Now that's key. Now remember, Abraham was born or raised in the land of Ur. That's the Persian Gulf. Had traveled all the way north to the area of Haran which is the area of Syria, and then traveled the 500 miles, follow me, 500 miles, that's whatever that is in kilometers, that's, I don't know, anyways, it's, um, it's 700, 800 kilometers, right? Yeah, well, with that, he travels all the way down from there down to where he's living now, which is in the land of Israel. Now, while he travels down there, again, he seems to take some souvenirs everywhere he goes. He comes from Syria, he takes with him Eleazar of Damascus. He'll go down to Egypt, come and takes this little cutie Hagar with him from there. And there are some souvenirs you probably shouldn't take with you. Uh, anyways, with this, as he comes down that 500 miles, that's 700 plus kilometers, that he's going to take that and he takes this man with him. And, and with all of that, he, he, this man has become extremely rich, and, and as he's become extremely rich, now this man, Eleazar, has the oversight of everything that this man possesses. The trust that this man has, that all of this fantastic wealth, and as a matter of fact, for what it's worth, when we see the word mentioned here, gold, which we take lightly, you need to recognize, I challenge you to do a word search on how many times the word gold is mentioned in the book of Genesis. What you'll find is the first guy that's mentioned that ever owns gold is this guy, Abraham. The second guy we're actually going to see that has gold at all after all of this is going to be Pharaoh who puts a gold chain around Joseph's neck. It isn't like everyone had a little bit of gold. Only the really, really rich had gold at all. And when God says that God blessed Abraham with lots of gold, that put Abraham above all of the... I mean, and let's put it this way in our own sort of mindset. There may be a lot of millionaires out there, but there are only a small handful of billionaires. Billionaires have gold. That's the idea according to this. So Abraham was a very wealthy man. And as he was a very wealthy man, he was a walking city. He had a lot of people. And as he had a lot of people, one person oversaw all of his goods. And it was this guy named God the Helper, for what it's worth. And he says in verse 3, then, and I will make you swear, he says, please, oh, verse 2, he says, please put your hand under my thigh. Now, already some of us are going, I'm a little young for a message like this. Thigh, I'm a little, well, 
it's amazing where, quote-unquote, experts are going to take something like this. We know the word hand. The word hand is yad, and it's the word that's often synonymous with power. As a matter of fact, there's a place in Israel called Yad Vashem, which means a hand in the name. It's the Holocaust memorial. The word for hip, which, which is the word yadek. Could you say yadek? Now, Yannick, for what it's worth, and, and, and I don't want to go too far with where people want to take this, but we kind of get the idea, put your hand under my thigh, what in the world is this guy asking? He's getting old, he's getting a little weird here. Well, it's the same word that is used, by the way, if you really want to try to take it in some bizarre place, it's the same word when God touches Jacob's hip and knocks it out of joint. You can figure out where that is. Now, guys, we're a little less knowledgeable about this, and I, I don't mean to pick on this thing and get general, but ladies, where's the hip? It's this, right? I mean, it's the hip. It's also by the place where it says in Psalm 45, it says about the Lord, gird your sword on your hip. Now, you can kind of figure out where that sword should be girded. It's on your hip. So, let's play this out. Suzanne, will you help me for just a second? Notice I picked, I'm, I know I'm playing favorites. It's my wife. It's all right, for those of you who are unaware. So, Abraham's sitting here like this for a moment. Ooh, this is upside down. There we go. And he's going, ha, Eleazar. Come here and put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear. So where does he put his hand? He puts his hand under there. Nothing really weird about it. Now, granted, the guy's kind of wearing a muumuu, so that's a little uncomfortable. You know? But I want you to recognize what's happening. Now, why is he doing this? Well, see, understand, your right hand is the hand that performs. That's your strength. That's where things get done. And when you're putting it under my leg like this, what you're saying is, is that all of your power is under my authority. Remember, I'm sitting on some form of chair like a throne. What you're saying is, is that all of my strength is now willing to submit and under, again, openly under the submission of your decision-making. Does that make sense? Now, that's important. Thank you. Now, so it isn't something weird and perverted. It's actually something profound. You have this guy, and his name is God the Helper, who was openly in front of others, made himself clearly that though he has at his disposal all of the riches of the Father, he is willing to openly submit himself to this specific cause. Are you with me on that? Okay, good. If not, we'll go slower. All right, so it says, And I will make you swear, verse 3, by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac there. Now the servant has a question. But first of all, recognize what happened. We've been walking on this journey with Abraham. And as we've been walking, we've seen four beautiful altars. Remember, Abraham is a man of the altar and of the tent. And as a man of the altar, that shows, by the way, how he connects to God through sacrifice. Four of them, as profoundly now, it's clear and evident that anything that could be worshipped has to be reconciled in the heart of Abraham. Well, that's one God. There are not a lot of gods to try to find a lot of purposes. Everything that I ever need is not just sort of this God is the store for it. This God is the answer for those things. I'm not asking God to give me those things. I'm asking God to be those things. And since I have gone through this journey from chapter 12, now through 24, we've doubled the amount of chapters from the beginning of that to the end of that point, now in Genesis. You've reconciled, look it, I have reconciled in my heart where provision comes from. 
where purpose comes from, where pleasure comes from, where protection comes from. And it all comes from one place, one God for whom I find all of those things. Why in the world would I want to hook my son up with someone who hasn't reconciled that yet? Why would I want to put him in a place where he's with someone who obviously worships something else for those things? Hear me out, as a father with two very beautiful girls, praise God, they're both too young to marry, unless it was these days. And that, Anyways, thank the Lord for that. I take very seriously 2 Corinthians 6.14, where it says not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And he tells us, for what communion does light have with darkness? Now the idea of it is, if God is supposed to be the most important thing in my life, now hear me out. If I reconcile those four things with God, then there's really no one else I'm going to be chasing or nothing else I'm going to be chasing after. God is my protection. Why in the world would I, would I be diving headfirst into anything else that's going to give me security when I know where my real security is? If God is my purpose and my productivity, why in the world would I chase it somewhere else? And I start to realize, if God is my pleasure, well, then certainly I'm not going to be spending my whole life trying to get wasted going from girl to girl, from thing to thing, owning more stuff to think somehow I'm going to get pleasure from that. Because first and foremost, if I can't get it from the one who created me, well, then I'm going to find myself sipping on things and in the end of it all thirstier than when I started. Like, man, why would I want, having walked this far in the journey, why would I want to hook up anyone that I love with someone that's going to take them in another direction? I would want and, and understand that's not just my children. That's you guys. I mean, as your pastor, it's a really big deal. I, the last thing I want is to find you running with someone that's going to really... Let me just say it this way. There's a difference between who really is your friend and who is your ministry. Now, you're going to be friendly to people who are your ministry. You're going to love on people that are your ministry, but you guard your heart. The real, a real friend has access and therefore influence into your heart. Does that make sense? Do you really... We've never been taught this. At least I've never been taught this. Do you really want to be really careful with who you actually give influence to your heart? Wouldn't you? And you realize, if you're anything like me, every regret I have came from me being just flat out careless with who I handed that influence to. People are like, well, you said you were nice. You said you were cool. You said you were a Christian, right? That kind of thing. Like Satan wouldn't say that to you either. And, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, look at what happened to me. And, and I realized that a real friend, somebody, listen, people should graduate to a friend. Because somewhere down the line, I'm like, you know what? I've gotten to a place with you where I, I kind of feel like I can trust that your influence would be a good one upon my heart. Well, in our text here, Abraham's looking, he's old. Remember, that's how this thing, he's old, he's gotten to that place where he's mature, but he's also old. And he recognizes he's not going to have a lot more time with this boy. He's about 140, because his son, remember, is going to get married at 40, and he's 100 years older than his son. He doesn't, you know, it doesn't say Abraham's like, well, but I read a few chapters ahead, I know when I'm going to die in chapter 25. And he, he doesn't know. He just knows, well, I'm getting kind of old, and if you think about it, if you, if you realize you didn't know, but death was imminent, and let's just say that maybe, maybe, just maybe, you had a week. What would you put in order this week? Because Abraham's got some, the one thing he wants to put in order 
is who actually has some form of access to his son's heart. And I, I think that that's profound. Well, with that, he says, so don't go get it from the girls here. It isn't that they're not cute. It isn't that they can't do things that are enticing. The bottom line is, is that their foundation's opposite. So I've reconciled one God. And I find this guy, and he's so beautiful, this guy Isaac, because you don't read a lot about him, but what you read about the guy is he's, he's just kind of going to be the opposite of Jacob in, in regards to personality. This guy just seems to be a deep river that runs smooth. We don't find that he's given over to any form of extreme. Isaac is a great hero. And what we're going to find is, I mean, we've met him last chapter. Remember when he said, all right, Dad, um, we're going up for the sort of the worship. We've got the wood. We've got the fire. Kind of missing the sacrifice. And, and now we're in this place where the next time we're going to meet him, he's meditating. But we're going to develop that, God willing, this week. And you realize meditation, according to Scripture, is completely the opposite of what the world teaches on meditation. Now, within a mind, he says, go to my country, my family, and take a wife for my son Isaac there. And here is the question now from the helper, verse 5. Um, um, there's a problem. He says, perhaps, the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Well, then must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. Now, please understand what he's saying is, well, there's one small problem about this bride deal. The girl's got a will. Now, I find it interesting, at least according to Scripture, God makes really clear that a bride has a choice. So listen, ladies, those of you who are married, complaining about your husband doesn't make him look half as bad as you. I'm sorry to say that. Because either you married him in the first place like that, which means that you made a horrible choice, or you made him that, and that's your choice too. But in the end of it all, and the same thing with guys. I mean, no guy looks wise for saying, that's my old lady, check out the bag that she is. He's thinking, you picked her, man. You were, Did someone hold a gun to your head? And, and the reason I say that is, is we... You know, I mean, come on, guys. What guy actually buys something and goes, check out the stupid thing I bought. Wow, look at how dumb I am for that. I invested my whole life in this. You think, what a dumb guy. And he's twice as dumb for telling you. Well, in the text here, the point is the girl's got a choice. Even back here, ladies, there's a choice. And he goes, look at the helper. God the helper, his name, looks at the father and he goes, look at, I'm going to go to this gal. She's never, listen, listen, listen. She's never seen him before. It isn't like she can check out his eHarmony profile. It isn't like he can show up with an iPad with some slideshow. Ooh, here he is in the summer. And he likes volleyball and long walks on the beach. He's really good with bike riding and he really loves, you know, and he cries at those women's films. Oh, you know, I mean, all I mean, think about it. What would you do if I told you? I mean, because what we're talking about, remember, does anyone remember how far that distance was again between Hran, where he came from, and this area? Do you remember? 500 miles. Now, how long do you think it takes you to get 500 miles 4,000 years ago? I mean, if we put it, to be honest, if we put it into perspective, that would be like me telling James, James, I need you to go to the moon. Think about it. With the transportation we have today, that's about as far as we're talking. And so I'm sending, okay, so think about this. I'm sending, I'm sending James. James, James, I need you to go. And I need, I need you to travel 500 miles without a picture or an etching of my son to a girl that's never met him. 
and say, check him out. He's the thing. Don't you want to travel with me? A guy you've never met. 500 miles to a place you've never been so you can go and be intimate with someone for the rest of your life. Yeah! And which person in the right mind goes, ooh, hook me up. <laughs> but isn't that what we're doing? Think about it. If you don't know Jesus Christ, that's what I'm doing to you. I'm saying, I, I can't show you a picture of this guy and the surfer Jesus. I'm sure isn't the guy that's the real Jesus because he's not even Jewish. Now, you know, it's like, oh, nice, airy and deep blue eyes. Now, listen, if it was about a picture of how good looking he was, all we would take him for is the outside. How lame would that be? Matter of fact, Isaiah makes, makes clear, he really wasn't, he probably wasn't the first guy asked out to prom. Because we kind of read he, was, he had no stately former majesty that we would be drawn to him. So this whole thing that it looks like he just sort of stepped out of Gold's gym and he could barely keep his shirt on without ripping at the peck. It's not the guy that... No stately form. What does stately form means? That the guy was built in a way that people go, ooh, that's stately. And I was the last time you used that expression. Here's the point. Is that, see, if God made Jesus gorgeous, please hear me, if God made Jesus gorgeous, some people wouldn't come to him. See, there are certain things. If, I mean, Jesus came to earth to be approachable, to be with people. And there are certain things that would keep you from being with him. If he were very rich, if he was very aloof, if he was very gorgeous, someone would have a problem approaching him. But even prostitutes, beggars, and tax collectors approached him because he was that approachable. And even his enemies didn't have a problem getting in his face. That tells you how approachable this amazing Savior of ours is. And I'm here, and I'm like, well, what if, how do I come to you then? How do I come to you and explain to you, why don't you leave where you're at, all of your comforts, your family and your friends and your posse and all that you've made of your world, and follow me to a place you've never been, a guy you've never really met, and somehow and you're going to go, oh, okay. Because that's exactly what's taking place here. But somewhere in all of this, he goes anyways. He put his hand under the thigh. And might I just say, so have I. As your pastor, I have stood before my father and I said, man, this is all yours. This is yours. And whatever you want to do with it, you can do what you want with it. And he says, all right, well, then I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you to a land that almost speaks your language. And I'm like, but, but there's a problem. What if... What if uh, she doesn't want to come? Well, what he said was, well, don't worry, you can force her. No, 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 actually, that's not what it says. He doesn't say, argue harder. He doesn't say, if you had enough ammunition intellectually, you could stupefy her into coming. But isn't that what you've been taught? By, by the way, the enemy, not by, I'm, I'm sure it's not even Christian that's taught you that. The enemy says, you can't go out and evangelize because after all, you know, you, what if they ask who's Cain's wife? Say, ha ha, and walk and say, what do you know? What are you going to do? Perhaps the woman isn't willing. What, what, what do we do? Should we bring the son back? Should we get him back there? Should we bring the son back? He's already, I mean, he's like, no, 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 that's not the deal. This is what I want instead. I want you to go there, give her the offer, and if she says no, you're off the hook. But be responsible to go and give the offer. All right. 
So it says, Abraham says, verse 6, Beware that you do not take my son there, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, from the land of my family, from who spoke to me, saying, To your descendants I'm going to give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from them. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, well, then you will be released from the oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and he swore to him concerning this matter. So here we are. Now the mission has begun. Dun, 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 dun. Next verse, he's traveled 500 miles. There you go. No stopping in between. We don't read any rest stops. We don't, God didn't spend any time on the journey because the journey apparently wasn't the issue here. He was on a mission. The next thing is he's got to get to a place where the bride is. Now, beloved, listen. This man's name is God the Helper. Eliezer. If you read John chapter 14 through 16, four different times you're going to read that the Holy Spirit is called God the Helper. When the Helper comes, He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Do you realize what He's doing? Well, it's the same thing here. But I want you to recognize it's the Holy Spirit's job not to bring Jesus to you first, to bring you to Jesus. And here's the, here's the beauty of it. I don't have to convince you. It's God the Helper's job. I actually just get to be one of the servants who've gone with him. At best, I get to be a camel. And what we read here, notice it says, yeah, find it out here, notice what it says, verse, verse 10, then the servant took his master's camels and departed, for notice this expression here, for all of his master's goods were in his hand. Notice that. There was nothing within the father's riches that was untouchable to the helper. Nothing. And so he looks around. Hmm, what do I pick? What do I pick? What do I pick? Donkeys? No, nah, they smell. And man, they make that noise. And oh, okay, horses? No, nah, they're too weak and they fall and they die too quickly. I know. Now, what would this be like today? Of your modes of transportation, there are horses. There are oxen if you really want to get there slowly. And then there are camels. What makes camels profound? Well, first of all, they can go the farthest, the longest, and carry the most. For instance, just to kind of give you an idea, the average camel can drink at one particular sitting, and this is what kind of prepares you for all of this, anywhere from 50 to 225 liters. Okay, because what do you think those humps are? Those humps are filled with fat and water. Well, basically what that is, is that's basically his lunch until he's done with the trip. Now, it all depends on how long that thing is. Now, think about this. 225 liters. Let's, let's round it down a little bit. 200 liters. That's, you know, because maybe he's a little thinner, he's a little smaller. Okay. And so, what is that to us today? You know what that is? That's a motor home. That's what it is. So he kind of looks. Remember, this is the helper and he's checking out. And then remember, this is daddy bling bling. And he's looking around and he's got, hmm, there's a Hummer. That could be nice. A Hummer. Hmm, okay, there's the Maserati. That'll get me there quick, but I couldn't shove her. What if she's a big girl? I couldn't put her in that, you know? And he's like, I know. Let's get out the motor homes. And it tells us he picks 10 motor homes, 10 camels. Now, why is he taking 10? Because a girl doesn't travel alone. She takes with her a set of girls to help prepare her for the wedding. So he's not only made accommodations for the bride, but for everyone who's going to be associated with her. He wants to get them all there. Now, picture that in your mind for a moment. He's going to travel 500 miles with 10 motorhomes. 
And off he pulls then into a place that's a well. Now, what's a well today? We could say it's a restaurant or something, a place where people gather to get. It's the store. It's Sainsbury because it's where she gets water. But it's a little bit more complicated in those days. And now imagine, all of a sudden you look and the parking lot gets full of motorhomes. Ten of them show up. Now, think about that for a minute. Now, here's what it says. Verse 10. The servant took his master's camels. That's what he picked because everything was at his disposal. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. Remember how Abraham had two brothers. One passed away, mountain man. The other one, remember what this guy's name means? Go ahead and say it. It's good. Snorter, snorer. Yeah. So, do you really want to get a daughter from a man named Snorer? Well, he does. So, he did. 500 miles has been traveled. And that's, uh, anyways. Uh, And so... With that, he arose and he went to Mesopotamia, to the land of Nehor. And he made his camels kneel down in, outside the city by a well of water at evening time when the women go to draw water. You're probably aware of the fact that, that was a woman's job at the end of the day. Why not during the heat of the day? Who wants to go and carry that kind of water at noon when the sun's beating down on you? So you wait until the evening when things get nice and cool. And evening. And by the way, we're going to meet two things that happen in evening. What Isaac is doing at evening and what this girl is doing at evening. Well, what she's doing at this point is she's going to go draw water. So he pulls in with his 10 motorhomes, and as he pulls in with his 10 motorhomes, he parks them by the well. That's where you get water, and that's where the women come. And it says in verse 12, Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming to draw out water. But let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one whom you've appointed for your servant, Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now, you're probably aware of the fact that what he's asking is a bit ridiculous. Because first of all, remember, a well of water isn't like something we see in a Dutch painting. You know, where it's got the cool little brick and you kind of, you know, and you roll up your thing. A girl comes with a stone pitcher on her shoulder or on her head. Stone here because we haven't invented plastic yet. Thank you very much. So, stone. Empty, that can't be nice. And, you know, there's some pad in between. And she comes, she takes this thing, and she takes it, and she hooks it to a rope, and she sticks it down this big pit where there's water down in the end of it. So she lowers it down until she hears, nice thing about stone is it's heavy enough to sink below the water. Then she's got to pull this baby up. Now, you can decide how heavy that is anyways. But one thing's for sure. This girl's my hero. Because what the guy is asking, let me remind you, an almost full thirsty camel is going to drink 200 liters. How many camels does he have? Ten. Right? Now, the question is, how thirsty is he? Is it a little trip? How long was the trip? 500 miles. You decide for yourself whether those camels are thirsty. And so he's sitting there and he's going, Oh, Lord. Have you ever done this with God? If this is really you. And this is cool, though, if you think about it, because he doesn't know where to look. A bunch of girls are coming. Guys, perhaps you know the fear of that. A bunch of girls are coming, and he doesn't know where to look, so he picks the best place, and then he looks, which is up. And he goes, um, all right, I really don't know which of these girls it's going to be, but could you just, if, if there was a girl that went and got water, and she drops down that pitcher, and she come, pulls it up, now she's on her way back, and I could say, can I have a drink from that? And she says, sure, why not? I'll go. And, and, and then she says, you know, I was actually thinking about dropping that pitcher 200 more times in the well. Wouldn't that be neat so I could water your camels? 
Clearly, that's the one. No, let's be honest. Guys, if you wanted a guy to find a bride for you, this girl, she may come out like a German wrestler, but she's got it. No, I mean, what's he asking in this? And I think about this, and I realize what he's saying is, could we find a girl that actually has more room in her life than just for her? Think of all the things that she could say that everyone would agree with. She's like, buzz off, you creep. Get it yourself. That's the first thing. Or, you know, I'm really busy right now. i got to get back. She has no idea. Some girl woke up that morning to do the most common errand that a girl does in that day. And she went to sleep that day covered in riches. Could that be you? Yeah, okay, maybe church isn't an ordinary thing for you. But you came here, and here I am as a helper, a servant of the Lord. I put my hand under the thigh of my father, and I said, look it, I've got something for you. But is there room in your life for more than you? Now, now with that, he sits there, and and I I just love how beautiful this is. As he takes this, it tells us he doesn't even finish praying, and he prays this in his heart before this girl shows up. Now, I've got to tell you, when you start thinking about 2,000 more leaders, we, last night we have a thing at our house called Family Bible Theater where we like to act out text. And one of the things that's really fun is, of course, to do it with, with a text in Genesis. Boy, that's a fun one. Well, last night we're there, and my precious 8-year-old, classic Ruthie, we're reading this particular story, and I'm like, so that's 2,000 more leaders here. She says, oh, why, doesn't she just take, why doesn't she just throw the camels in the well? <laughs> That's an, that's an eight-year-old mind working well there. Oh, I love that girl. All right, so he's exceedingly wealthy. I stand by this well of water. Let it know. Let it, and again, you're asking for a miracle. Verse 15, it happened as he had finished speaking, just as he had finished speaking, before, I'm sorry, before he had finished speaking, that behold a girl named Rivka. Would you say Rivka? Rivka. Now, Rivka means to tie a knot or to bind something. And the idea is to be bound by someone's beauty. You know, I mean, you don't want to name your daughter, look, there's my daughter, the noose. Um, <laughs> the idea is, is that she's somebody that would, you'd just be bound to by her beauty is kind of the concept of it. And it says, so her name is, is this, and she's born to a, to a person named Bethuel. Bethuel, for what it means, means destroyed of God. Who names her child that? Who's the son of Milka, which means queen, like Melech? The wife of Nahur, Snorer. So, Snorer has a wife named Queenie. They have a child named Destroyed of God. And that particular guy has a daughter that makes then Abraham's brother's granddaughter. Did you get that? So, Abraham's brother's granddaughter is this girl, Rivka, or Rebecca, as we say. And it says that Rivka was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the son of Nahur. Abraham's brother came out with a pitcher on her shoulder. And it says, notice verse 16, that the young woman was very beautiful to behold. And it says, a virgin, no one had known her. God takes purity as a very big deal. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. Now, she has no idea what's about to happen. She's right in the middle of her errand. And the servant ran to meet her. Now, why did the servant run to meet her? Because she was fine. She was cute. And after all, you don't want to bring home someone that's not cute for you. And he says, please, can you give me a drink of your water from your pitcher? And she says, drink, my Lord. But this part just, this really grabs me in 18 and 20. Notice it says, she quickly let down her pitcher from her hand. 
The last time I saw someone do something quickly was Abraham when he quickly ran to the angel of the Lord and two others, if you remember, and offered them. And there's this sense of urgency that, by the way, we don't often find within believers, but we do find among people that God actually showcases. So she quickly let down her pitcher from her hand. She gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have, notice this, finished drinking. Now, wouldn't it even be amazing enough to say, I've got a little left in my pitcher. There you go for your camels. Now, that would have been enough for me to go, that's probably the girl. Because she still has to go and drop that thing one more time now for the water. But she goes, until they finish drinking? All right, I'll sit here and wait. Now, this is the most beautiful part. So she's going to go and do this as many as 200 more times. And this is the best part. Verse 21, look at it. And the man... Wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. Then you realize what just happened, right? He said, Lord, if this is your will, let it rain down frogs. And then after it rained down frogs, may there be a street sweeper that sucks them all up. And out of the back of the street sweeper comes you know, creme brulee. And then as that happens, everybody on the street breaks forth into spontaneous song, doing shimmies and dancing. And as they do at the end of it all, then as it happens, well, may it be that the mayor comes over, shakes my hand and says, here's a 20 pound note. And then all of a sudden you're like, amen. And all of a sudden it was, oh, no, no. And the mayor comes over and he gives you the 20 and you go, wow, God, I wonder if that was from you. You kind of find that a little strange. Lord, if there's a woman who really wants to say, let me give your camel some water, and she doesn't just say, let me give your camel some water, she's like, let me fill him back up. So imagine if the well were a petrol well, and you pulled up with 10 motorhomes, and it says, the girl that actually wants to put some gas in my tank. And she looks and goes, well, you know, actually, why don't I actually go and drop my well and fill up all of your tanks on all of your 10 motorhomes? God, could this really be you? (laughs) Don't we do that? Now, here's the thing. God did not have to play this game with this servant, did he? God could have said, shut up, I'll do it my way. But do you realize that God really, really, really wants to reveal himself to you in a way you can understand? God's not really interested in just doing something so ethereal and mysterious that you're like, God's just some cosmic mist and maybe someday we'll figure out the littlest bit. God's like, look it, can I make clear to you who I am? I love you. I'm emphatically in love with you. I can't stop thinking about you. I sent my son to die to redeem you from all of your guilt. Can I make it any clearer that I love you? You're like, God, who are you really? What are you about? He's like, excuse me. And it isn't like, look it, you just set the rules and God's going to reveal himself that way. God knows how to speak to you, but he doesn't want you to set the rules. But here, why does God do this the way, this way? Because he wants to reveal himself as not just the God of Abraham, but the God of the servant. And the servant, he can go, oh, let me tell you stories of the great things God did with this servant. But this servant will be able to tell his own children. Let me show you how God revealed himself to me. Isn't that cool? You really think that I have the market cornered on God's revelation? Ask him to reveal himself to you and then watch what he does. Because you realize he loves you just as much as he loves me. Jesus didn't die for me any more than he did you. And so, she, no, notice here, it says in verse 
whatever verse says, 20, that she quickly emptied her pitcher. Notice the quickly again. And then she ran back to the well. This girl is fit. All right, let me, hold on. Okay, okay, 175. All right, 176. Lord, could this be you? I mean, that's what's going on at this moment, right? And what could be better at a moment like that than once the girl has finished doing that but put more weight on her? Oh, that's what it says. No, no, it says, So it was when the camels had finished drinking, again, yeah, that the man took a golden nose ring weighing about a half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing about ten shekels of gold and he put them on her. So, now, you probably think after actually doing such an aerobic workout, the last thing that's going to happen is someone's going to stick a big chunk of gold in your nose. Any of you think, I'm going to get up this morning, I'm going to probably go and, you know, I'm going to run to Sainsbury's. And as I run to Sainsbury's, I'm going to get a couple packs of water. And then when someone asks me for one, I'm going to actually go and give one to everyone. And I'm going to go and get a bunch more. And then when the thing's done, he's going to shove some gold up my nose. People go, you're creative. No, follow me on this. Just to kind of put things into perspective, because it really does show me something here. Gold right now is 1,080 pounds an ounce. A shekel is about ten and a half grams. So basically it's about three shekels to an ounce. Now let's just go on the low side of it, which means that the ten shekels was both bracelets and not ten shekels a bracelet. That puts me at the place right now that he just dumped about 3,500 pounds worth of gold on that girl in a quick step. Now that's a little different. Now that's a little bling bling. So here she is, sweaty. Unless there's something really supernatural happening. She's just gotten water for camels. Now, have you ever seen a camel? They're really not. Nobody snuggles with a camel. <laughs> this is their noise. <laughs> it really is. They can spit great distances. I actually have a picture of this thing. I remember bringing it home. My wife wouldn't kiss me for days. There's a thing called a pomelo. Does anyone know what a pomelo is? It's like a giant grapefruit. But you take this, and you take the pomelo, and you put half of it in your mouth, and you hold the other half, and I have a, the perfect picture where the camel is actually closing its mouth. It looks like my tongue. So it looks like I'm French kissing a camel. No wonder why she wouldn't kiss me, right? So, you know, like, oh, that's kind of thing. And it gets that close to you, and, and I've never had that much whiskers brush across my face before in my life. I'm like, wow, you need to shave. you got lots of stubble. And, it, you know, and, it's, and its lips like do this kind of thing that's like, right? And you're like, okay, do it quick. Take the picture. It's a one-take deal. Ah. And I just can't imagine. And he shows up with 10 of these babies, right? And, and okay, so here's the point. He doesn't have any pictures of Jesus. I'm sorry. He doesn't have any pictures. Boy, we connected that one too. He doesn't have any pictures of the sun. He doesn't have any, you know, he doesn't have a, you know, this is his character readout, like in volleyball, long walks on the beach. What he does is he brings some riches from the estate and says, what do you think of this? Now, well, according to the book of Galatians, we as Christians possess the very fruit of heaven as he's planted his spirit in us. Do you realize what you're bringing? You are bringing riches from the kingdom to unbelievers and going, have you ever really seen real love? We're not talking about love you all night love, but we're talking about you before me love. Or joy. Not happiness, you bought me something, I'm really happy, but don't take it away from me, I have to guard it now. But joy when things aren't really to be happy, but I have it anyway. Peace that's not great cosmic mellowness, excite, remove anything tumultuous from my body, but rather 
a union with a God that I know everything's going to be okay, that even in the worst of times, I can stand without really dropping. Because you realize everything that everyone in the world's chasing after is that. Marketed as that, I should say, but isn't really that. And I come as a helper like you and just say, hey, look at it. Would this be enough to say, this is just a hint of what the groom is like. If you see anything at all that you say is admirable, and I mean it sincerely, I'm not being falsely humilified. I'm not being falsely humble to tell you it's only Jesus. And if there's anything you see and you go, that's cool, then let me just say, the groom would love to have you. Well, well, with that, he takes this and now he just, now if there were, if both of those bracelets were that way, that means she just showed up with seven grand with the gold. And so she comes back now. So, so it says with this then, that he said, whose daughter are you? Because there's one other thing. We have to marry within this. And he says, who are you? Tell me, please. Is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? And she says, I'm the daughter of Bethuel Milka's son, whom she bore in the floor. And he just knows it now. And this is the response. So, moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and, f- and food enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and he worshiped the Lord. And this is what happens when you see somebody say yes to the groom. And I mean this sincerely. As a person who knows the heart of the Father, even as much as I do, I just can't help but say, God, you are so good. And this guy, by the way, no other person, if you think about it, in all the Old Testament, seems to worship more per chapter than this guy in this chapter. He worships twice. Why? Because you said yes. And I think all the angels of God in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. That could be you today. One girl who says yes, so to speak. So he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, the servant speaking, being on the way, the Lord led me. He, he actually interacts with me too. I conclude that. He led into the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Now Rebecca had a brother. His name was Whitey. That's what Laban means, by the way. It means Whitey used 48 times. And by the way, we'll develop that more in chapters six, um, four, sorry, 16 through 18 because of the 48 times he's mentioned, 38 of them are in those chapters. But we get a little bit about what he's like here. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and he saw the bracelets on his sister's wrists and when he heard what the words of his sister Rebecca that he said, well, that's what the man said to me. Well, then he ran out to the man and he stood by the camels at the wells. So he looks and he checks out and he goes, whoa, sis, where'd you get all this? Which tells me this house cannot be as rich because it isn't like sis is actually showing up with things that are normal. It isn't like, wow, nice Rolex, sis. Where'd you get that one on sale? I mean, he looks like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where'd you get all this? And she's like, there was this guy by the well and, and he put this stuff on me and he says he happens to be related to me. I mean, he works for the guys related to me and, and all this. And the guy's like, whoa, if he's got that, he's got more. And it's interesting because the moment somebody says yes, the moment somebody actually starts responding, it just seems like other people start to notice. They take him and they go, whoa, 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 what's up with this? Now, this guy's a bit of a ripoff. There'll be a great deal of it. But in this, he still looks and he goes, whoa, something's going on here. I see something on you I don't see before. And it's beautiful, shiny. And in that, she's like, well, it's just this guy. And she's like, whoa, that's enough. By the way, that's how churches start. So she tells the story and it says, it came to pass that this man shows up now 
Whitey Levon, and he says, Come, O blessed of the Lord, why do you stand out here? For I have prepared a house and a place for your camels. So the man came to the house and he unloaded the camels for him. He provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. He said, food before them to eat. And he says, I will not eat until I tell my errand. So here's the servant, and he's not about at this point about laxing off because the deal's still not done. He wants, remember, the girl needs to go. Hear this out. Hear this out. Please hear this out. It isn't about the fact the girl said, yeah, that's cool. I'm good. I like it. I'll take this stuff. You still have to go. And there are people that are like, yeah, I just want you to know I was an unbeliever. And then in 1979, there was a Jesus movement. And some guy came and he was dressed like Jesus. And he said, who wants Jesus? I said, I'll take Jesus. I'll take Jesus and give me all of heaven and no to hell. And, and make my life prosperous and don't let me ever be sick again. And I just wait now. I'm going to sit here and wait. And it's like, but where are you at? Oh, I'm still living in my sin and I'm drinking and I'm having a horrible time. And let me just tell you. It's like, when did you ever get up and follow? Because Christianity is not the Christian sit. It's the Christian walk for a reason. And he's like, who's coming? Who's coming? Because I'm not inviting you to just say yes to Jesus and sit and be unchanged. I'm inviting you to come follow me to pursue the one who transforms lives like mine and still is. So from verse 34, now when I'll read this quickly, verse, through verse 49, he retells the story. So in case you got here late, this is what we would call a back, a back story montage. So he says, I'm Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he's become great. He's given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he's given all things that he has. So my master made me swear. I won't talk about the thigh thing, but he made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whom I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said, The Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You're never going to do this alone, beloved. And you shall take a wife for my son from my family. And for my father's house. Now you will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. If they will not give her to you, well, then you will be released from this oath. So you recognize there's still a yes or no in this. And this day I came to the well of the water and I said, O oh Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand at the well of water and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water and I say to her, please give me a little drink from your pitcher to drink, a little water. And she says to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Well, then let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebekah coming out with the pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down from the well to draw water. And I said to her, please, let me drink. And she made haste, notice, and let her pitcher down from her shoulder, which means that the servant took notice of her readiness. And he said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put a nose ring on her nose, which is a perfect place for it, and bracelets on her wrists. And I bowed my head and I worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter from my master's brothers for her son. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me. That I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Now look at he's saying, okay, so here's the deal. Now you've got the backstory montage. Is it okay or not? And I love the fact that the servant is faithful enough to say, there's a decision to be made. What's the decision? 
I don't want to preach the gospel. And then in the end of it, I'll just think like, well, if you blink enough times, you're going to become a Christian. There is a choice to be made the same way there is in any marriage. Somewhere down the line, at least traditionally, a man's going to drop the knee and say, and put you in a crisis. He's going to put you in that place where he's like, will you be mine? And you can't just go, oh, cool. And that's the end of it. There has to be a choice to be made. So Levon and Bethuel, and I love this answer, said, this thing's from the Lord. I cannot speak to you either good or bad. And please hear this. If God's the one who said it, he's not asking me to judge whether it's good or bad. If God did it, it's good. That's just all there is to it. By the way, if the world held on to this verse, it would change everything. You ever heard people that are like, I can't believe in a God that's going to do this. You really think you're going to stand before God and say, my sense of justice is obviously more you know, more clear than God's sense of justice. I have a better understanding of the universe than God's understanding of the universe. I can't believe in a God that would do that. Well, you may be in your tiny little world, but the bottom line is somewhere down the line, your faith has to say, you know, obviously you must understand things a lot better than I do. And if it's from the Lord, I'm, he hasn't asked me to make a judgment on it. You know, God doesn't make something and go, hey, by the way, here's the judgment. What do you think, Allie? Is this a good decision? I could change my mind, you know. You've got a pretty good understanding of the situation. Actually, God's like, here's the deal. What do you, you know, do you want to do, do it or not? So Rebecca, for who, you know, it says, here's Rebecca, take her and go. So in other words, at least in regards to her family, they're willing to let her go. But that's not the last decision to be made. Let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. Now, what does the servant do? And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard these words that he worshiped the Lord. And the second time in the chapter, the guy falls on his face. And you kind of get the idea that, now understand, if you were Rebecca, think about this. If you were Rebecca and you were trying to figure out what this guy was like that you're going to go and spend the rest of your life with, and you're trying to figure it out from the servant, wouldn't you try to figure it out from the servant? You go, well, this is a guy that must be pretty reverent because his servant keeps falling on his face and worshiping God. He must really have some kind of tight walk with this God that he serves. And what if that were us? What about the unbelievers and the new believers that are watching you and watching me and going, what is that God really like? And they're watching you. You said something about peace. Are you living it? You said something about joy. Is that what you got? Because wouldn't it be weird to say, my master's so incredibly filthy rich in the things that are important and you're living like a pauper? And they're going, well, I'm sorry, but why doesn't he treat you better then? That's what I would ask. Well, let's wrap this around. So the servants brought out, notice, jewelry, silver, jewelry of gold, which I remind you is a rare thing. Clothing he gave them to Rebecca. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. So somewhere down the line, Rebecca hasn't even said a final yes yet. She will in a moment, hopefully. You can decide that in a second. And then, but he's still lavishing her with all of these things. And he's going, this is just a little bit more hint of what's waiting me. And when he and the men who were with him ate, they drank and stayed the night. Then he arose with the morning and he said, now let's go. Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days. At least ten. That she, and then after that she may go. But he said to them, don't hinder me, please. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away. And notice it isn't just here the Lord of my master Abraham anymore. Now it's the Lord. Because look at what he's done in my life. He's prospered my way. Send me away that I may go with my ma- go to my master. But they said, well, we'll call the young woman and ask her personally. So here's your moment, beloved. Have you said yes to the gift of this God's son who's died on the cross to make you innocent, to lavish you in an in, in immeasurable love and kindness and peace and joy? Are you still sort of sitting there? Because at this moment, you go, okay, we're about to get up and go here. 
Well, let's call the girl and ask her. So I'm calling you up and saying right now, well, what about you? Are you ready to go? It's not, hey, you know what? If you really, if this guy really loves me, just have him just ship more riches to me right where I live. So you no, know, if you really want everything that this man has to offer, first and fundamentally, that's him. Are you going to say yes to him? Not just to his stuff. So it says, we'll call the young woman and ask her personally. Verse 58, they called Rebecca and said, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. If she had said no, it would have been the end of the story for Rebecca. But instead she becomes the mother of a man named Israel. And here it is right here. And I think about how humor this would be. Imagine if God didn't prosper the servant the way that, he, that the servant had asked. So he's like, okay, so if I ask a woman for a drink and she says, love me water your camels as well. And so he sits at the well. Imagine what it would be like. He sits at the well and the first girl shows up and he's like, oh, can I have a drink of water? And she's like, yeah, okay. She gives him a drink of water, but that's it. So she walks away and he's like, oh, okay. Can I have a drink of water? And the second girl, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, imagine what it would be like 15 girls down the line. He's like sloshing, waiting for the girl to oh, drink of water. And you can see the other 14 going, what, was my water not good enough for you or what? Isn't it wonderful how the Lord met him with the first one? Imagine, you know, suddenly he dies from water poisoning, you know, and there he is, he falls over, he's sweating all over, God, I drink of water. Is there someone here that wants to water my camels? Wouldn't you, after a few, go, okay, so let's drop that a little bit. The woman who says, are those your camels? That's enough, right? She took note. I mean, think about how you would compromise. God's like, I don't need you to do that. So, will you go? Yeah, I'll, I'll go. So they went away, Rebecca with her sister and her nurse and Abraham's servant. Let's close this up. Now look at verse 60. They bless Rebecca. This is what they said. Have lots of babies. It's the blessing. They say, our, they said, our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands. Now, obviously, she's not to have all of them, but ultimately, may they come from you and your family and those that you have. And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them, which again means may your enemies always be less than you. Then Rebecca and her maids arose. No, she didn't travel alone. And she rode on the camels. And notice he provided then the motorhomes for the girls to travel in luxury. And the servant took Rebecca and departed. Now, Isaac came from the way of, of Bir Lachairoi, which, by the way, perhaps you remember in Genesis 16, was where the Lord met Hagar the first time she fled. And he dwelt in the south. In verse 63, Isaac went out to meditate. Now, the way that Eastern mysticism teaches meditation is you empty your mind. And what you're really trying to do is empty yourself so that demons can come in. That's as plain as it can possibly be. On the other side of it, scripturally, the word for meditate is an entirely different word. The word is haga, and the word haga literally means to chew cud, like a cow that eats his two stomachs. He eats, he kind of barfs it up, chews it again, swallows it, barfs it up, chews it again. God invented the cow for that, I'm convinced, for this purpose. Because that's the way the word of God is supposed to be with you. When we read in Psalm 1, on his word, he meditates day and night. You, you sort of read the word and you don't be like, all right, finish that and done. He's like, okay, throughout the course of the day, bring it back up and chew it a little bit. Hmm, what if that really means? And it's like, and, 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 but this particular word is even different from that. Because this particular word, for what it's worth, the word suach is exclusive to this particular verse. And the idea of it, he's just pondering. So here's a guy. Now remember, the last time we met this guy, he was about to be killed on a, on a mountain. And God said, don't kill him. I, I know that you fear me. And now all of a sudden, imagine, and he's sort of sitting there, and, and, and he's just pondering. Sitting, and he's just contemplating God. I mean, think about the servant. 
He just sort of there. He's a deep man. And it says, as he went out to meditate in the field, he lifted his eyes, and there were the camels coming. He's like, oh, those were the camels that were getting a bride for me. Then Rebecca, notice, by the way, he never says, you need to fight, you need to strive, you need to clean up your act. Uh, the, the, the servants like, look at, let me get you there. I do love that. So Rebecca lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac from a distance, she dismounted from her camel. Now, why is that? Because there's a man there, and according to this culture, a girl's head shouldn't be higher than a man's. That's the idea, because it shows that she thinks she's superior to him. So she said to the servant, well, whose man is this walking in the field to meet us? Now, of course, raised on Disney, you kind of think you're going, ooh, who's that man out there in the field, right? You kind of... <laughs> We don't recognize. You can read it whatever way you want to. It just says, who's the man that's there walking to meet us? He's coming to meet us. Notice, by the way, the servant, or notice that the son here wasn't going, I'll wait. She better be cute. <laughs> this was a man that you just kind of get the idea that he's excited enough about his bride that he's going to meet her. Don't you like that? And I think that that's beautiful. Well, the servant, notice, is the one who says, remember the servant, remember what his name means? God the Helper said, oh, wait a minute. It says, it is my master. Wait a minute, that's not Abraham. That's the son that the servant says, that's my master. She took a veil and covered herself. She doesn't want to look like a hussy on their first date, which will be ironic in a moment. So the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. So the servant gun comes and reports to the son. This is exactly what happened. And the son says, Glory to God. So Isaac brought her into his mother, Sarah's tent. He took Rebekah to be his wife, and he loved her. Remember, the first time we see love was when a father loves his only begotten son. And here we see a second time where the groom loves his bride. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Let me say a couple verses, and we're going to go to prayer. In Jeremiah 31, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. This is not a God that says, you know, if you really work really hard, maybe I'll like you. When God speaks to the nation Israel in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7, he says, the Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than the other people or you were the least people. He says, the Lord put his love on you because he loves you. That's why. Because he's faithful to what he promised. In 1 John 4, 19, it says, we love him because he first loved us. And I do love the fact that God did not love you because you were so darn lovable. He loved you and loves you because he's love. You see, if he loved you because you were lovable, you could blow it. Think about it. If the only reason why God loved you was because your Star Wars figurines collection and someone stole them, God would stop loving you. And the reason that God loved you was because you're so cute and then you get in a car accident, he could stop loving you because you were so smart or learned or whatever, well, then age is your enemy. But if the reason he loves you is because he is love, what are you going to do to change his mind? The question is, will you come with me? Will you go and say yes to this one and follow the promised son to whom all of the riches of the Father are at his disposal? Because today, I invite you into the perfect love story. And if you realize that, the entire Bible is one ridiculously beautiful love story about a God who is in hot pursuit of someone who doesn't seem to get it. 
And that's us. But today, he's, he's written songs that he's going to sing to his birds out there for you, specifically for you. He's going to whisper kind words, if you listen close enough, upon the wind that blows on top of those, breeze, on top of those trees. He, grow, he actually has bouquets of flowers for you. They grow wild in any place that you step where there's floral and fauna. You realize why he did that? He didn't have to. He did it because he loves you. And he's a gloriously romantic God at times. Today you will eat something. For some of us it will be a wonderful occasion. He did that too. Because he loves you. He gave you the, look of a, the kind look of a friend because he loves you. The warm voice of someone you love that responds kindly to remind you that's him. And this gloom is waiting. And there is going to be a day soon when the helper grabs his bride and gathers her together. And all of heaven is going to hear about how this groom is delighted in this girl. You could say, well, the church is ugly and the church is blah, blah, blah. Well, let me tell you what. Through the eyes of this lover, that bride is amazing and beautiful. And he loves you. The issue isn't his love. The issue is your choice. What are you going to say with it? Will you go? Will you pray with me? Lord God, I want to thank you so much that you have sent me on this errand today. With my hand under your thigh, I just want to tell you, Lord, by the power of you, Holy Spirit, God the Helper, I recognize I represent the greatest lover in all of eternity for which Romeo himself has no hope to to possibly challenge. Everything on the earth. You tell us that the earth is yours and the fullness thereof. And I think of all of the glorious fullness that today you use as a testimony of your infinite, impervious love for us. The issue will never be your love as a variable. It will be our choice. What are we going to do with you? What are we going to do with this love that you have offered us? We recognize that Rebecca, even after her family said, sure, she could have said, no, I won't go. I'll just stay here and wait for more riches. But sooner or later, that servant would have to go and find someone else. And in this, Lord, I thank you for your patience. But in that patience, God, you don't ask us for us to sit and wait for you to love us. You've already loved us. And you proved it on the cross by dying there to pay for our sins. And you rose again to offer us an intimate and real relationship with you. You love us first. But you challenge us with the choice. Father, you love us so much, you adopt us as your own as you tell us, behold how great the love the Father has lavished upon us that we would be called children of God. And I just want to pray right now, Lord, for myself and anyone who has said yes to you, that we would have a I will go in our hearts and not just a, all right, this is good enough, give me more. May we delight in your delight. May we lavish in You're lavishing, and in that, may we celebrate the God who celebrates us. But within the voice right now that you've given me, there may be some who have a choice to make. Are they going to say yes to this son, this offer? And today, whether it be the first time you've said yes, 
Or today, maybe more than ever, you recognize the need to have a heart that says, I will go where you lead me. I ask you to pray this prayer with me. God in heaven, I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. And you as a righteous judge punish all guilt. But I believe you so loved me that you sent your only begotten Son, perfect, to die on the cross for my sins, that all my guilt could be paid for in full. And just as your scripture promised, he died, was buried, and on the third day rose again and offers me new life. Life lavished in your love, Life engulfed in your peace and in your joy. And I pray right now a prayer of surrender. Acknowledging Jesus as more than my Savior, but also as my Lord. The payment for my crimes and the lover of my soul. I pray you would romance me, woo me, dance me around the room in my heart, God, and I pray that I would fall in love with you even as you have with me and make my life meaningful, joyful, and infectious. And so I say, here I am, I'm yours. I'll go where you lead me. I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen.